Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free 30-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Chopa. You know, recording these intros is probably the hardest part of podcasting for me. It's so strange to sit here and talk to an audience that doesn't give any feedback right away. Um, it's a little bit of a challenge, and uh, it does not feed into my ego at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this you know, maybe it will get easier. I don't know, I usually just talk about myself and uh, kind of hope for the best. Um, but, you know, speaking of talking about myself, I wanted to kind of bring up my antidepressants again, which um, if you've been listening for a bit, you're familiar with my journey um, and my recent increase. And uh, I have started to level out, so I don't feel as hyper-focused and hyper-productive as I did last week, Um, but I'm still feeling like I have more energy than I previously had, which feels really nice. Um, As somebody who chronically has low energy, it feels nice to be able to do the things that I need and want to do. That feels really fantastic. Um, uh, But the reason that I want to talk about it is that when you start an antidepressant and when you change the dosage, it takes a minute for your body to kind of adjust to the medication. And so for about the first week, maybe a week and a half after increasing my dosage, I was really exhausted and simultaneously very euphoric. And it felt very much like I was kind of in a dream state. Um, And so the reason that I bring that up is because I recorded this interview during that time. And I want to give the biggest shout out to today's guest, for being so empathetic and, um, you know, allowing me to show up and say that I wasn't showing up as my best self. It felt very respectful um, and easy to communicate with this person, and I think that's part of what makes them so good at their job. So let's get into this week's guests. They are a burlesque performer, a director, a producer, um, a sex and kink educator, and she is also the owner and founder of Permission Productions, which specializes in kinky events um, and really strives to create a culture of consent and safe spaces to play and explore. This was such a fantastic conversation, and I listened back today to edit it, and 
they have such a calming voice. It's like listening to ASMR. Um, so I think that if nothing else, you are going to leave this conversation extremely relaxed. I know I did. Um, and we get into a lot of really great topics. We talk a lot about consent and how it doesn't have to always be so big and scary, but that it can also be a tool to figure out how to play better. We talk about sexuality and wanting to be able to explore what it's like to be a sexual creature, which we all are to different degrees and, you know, in different ways, but we're all sexual beings. And so it was a really, really fun and interesting and delightful conversation. I was so honored um, that she came on the podcast. And um, I also want to point out that if you are interested in attending one of Permission Productions uh, kinky dance parties, there is one coming up December 18th that's in Boulder Burlesque and I've included the information for that event in the episode description so definitely check that out if you're in the Boulder area I have no doubt that you will feel welcomed you will enjoy yourself and you will be um, encouraged to explore and maybe learn something about yourself everybody please give a very warm welcome to today's guest, Krista Reed. Welcome, Krista. I'm so happy to be talking with you again. Hi, Kelly. It's so great to be here. Um, my name is Krista Reed. I use she and they pronouns, and I'm the founder of Permission Productions, a sex-positive events company based in Denver, as well as the director of Boulder Burlesque. Yes. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Um, you know, we chatted previously, and I am always impressed by people who have multiple facets, uh, as we all do, um, and who do different projects and have different things going on. And so I, um, you know, you're no, you're no exception to that. And so I am uh, very glad that we are talking today. I am so. also very glad, even <laughs> in just the way that you call in consent culture in reminding me when we join these conversations that if anything I ever makes me feel uncomfortable, we can pause and check in about that. And I think that's such a valuable reminder. Thanks for bringing that. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. It having everybody feel comfortable is my number one priority. So I appreciate that. I know you're big on that as well. Um, so I really appreciate you being open to this conversation. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you're currently working on. Absolutely. It's been so exciting coming out of the pandemic and venues reopening. And even though it's come with more consent conversations to juggle around COVID consent, um, as I like to call it, doing your exposure disclosure with everyone. Right now, I have been getting Boulder Burlesque fired back up after we took about a year off through the pandemic. We didn't have any events from August of 2020 until August of 2021. So... Uh, we got to return to the stage in person in August for a hot, sexy summer show. And just last weekend, we hosted our annual beginner troop auditions, which was really, really special. So we're bringing new energy into the troop. 
And then in addition to that, I also put on kinky tasting parties where folks get to show up in a fun dance party environment, test out some kinky activities like shibari rope, impact play, or domination from kink professionals in the community. So we've got our next one of those coming up in December, which will be a holiday theme. Ooh. And yeah, just always behind the scenes, working on building in more accountability, more consent, and uh, more of creating the spaces we want that are inclusive and fair and queer positive and body positive. Yeah, that's excellent. And that's so exciting. I'm sure it's a lot of work on your end. Um, but it is making such a positive impact on the communities that you support. And I think that's really fantastic. Um, yeah. It's funny, you brought up Shibari. I was just talking to my partner the other day and I was like, we should we should try out a Shibari workshop. Um, it's not something that I have experience in um, and it's not something that he has experience in either, but I think it would be really fun. So I think that's interesting. Shibari is usually one of the most popular booths when we have our kinky tasting parties. I'm sure it's so beautiful and so intricate and it feels um, it feels accessible but also kind of like a learned skill. Um, so yeah I'm I'm curious about it so that's exciting. Um, so I would love to hear how did you get started with Boulder Burlesque? Mm. Well Kelly I have always been curious about finding places where I think I always wanted to be a more outwardly sexual creature and growing up Roman Catholic and having a pretty conservative upbringing I think I had this ingrained sense that I wanted to express myself I wanted to wear fishnets and sexy corsets and um, just like be a sexual creature even though I didn't have words or language for that yet and it wasn't until a former co-worker of mine told me about the Boulder Burlesque troupe back in 2015 that I that was my first moment of having this sense of, oh, like maybe this could be a space to explore that. And before I could even audition for the troupe, my friend said, oh, Krista, we need a volunteer for the kinky tasting party that Boulder Burlesque is putting on. Can you come do hot wax for us? And I was just like, oh, what's hot wax? <laughs> so I got on this website called fetlife.com, which is a forum for all things BDSM and kink related. And I looked up what is hot wax? What is dripping? What does it mean to drip hot wax onto somebody else's skin for erotic pleasure and enjoyment? and learned all the safety tips and all the tools and supplies that I needed and showed up that night for the first time in this burlesque community, um, all dolled up with my massage table, ready to offer hot wax to people. And that's what I got to do for the night. And it was so fun. And Kelly, what I learned from that night was I have been performing burlesque since I started with Boulder Burlesque just after that kinky party in 2015. Um, performed at the Boulder Theater, at the Fox Theater in Boulder. And we are mostly based, it, we've bounced around to a couple different venues in Boulder, but um, yeah, have mostly shifted my focus into 
directing and producing more so than solo performing because uh, I love to just really geek out on the container design and giving other people space to get on that stage themselves and claim the power that I was gifted in getting to explore within Boulder Burlesque. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and thank you for doing that. Um, little baby burlesque performers like myself really appreciate um, people like you who are creating those safe spaces for you know people to get on stage and to be vulnerable and to show um, the, their favorite parts of themselves. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, so when you were with Boulder Burlesque, did you primarily perform with the troupe or did you do solo work or a combination of both? Well, with Boulder Burlesque, uh, the really magical thing about the burlesque community is we were able to perform in the shows that Boulder Burlesque put on. We had this amazing tour that we did called the Pussy Grabs Back Tour, which was in response to the Trump election and um, just got to bring our ferocious femme and queer vibes to the stage um, and like really assert our own bodies and our own presence. And within the troupe, um, I pretty quickly started taking on a production role. So I really got to enjoy like, stepping on stage here and there and then putting in supporting roles in putting on the productions. And out of Boulder Burlesque, several other local burlesque troops have started up out of the people who have left the troupe, which is one of the really powerful things that I think speaks to the empowerment that happens in that space is that people can go on to say like, well, that was such an incredible experience. I want to go like, do something similar in our own different way. And it just builds the community and grows the experience to invite even more performers in. Uh, so some of those auxiliary troops were spaces where I ultimately got to show up for somebody else's production work and bring a fun act or two to the stage. So it's so amazing to see different groups supporting each other and different creative projects evolving out of uh, the place where we start and learn. Yeah, yeah, that is exciting. And there are so many things that I love about burlesque. Um, but I, and I know I've talked about this before in previous interviews, but one of the things that I really love is how different it can be for everyone. And so, you know, sometimes it is it is powerful and moving and sometimes it is disturbing and, you know, we get into like uh, horror-lesque um, and it can be funny, it can be nerd-lesque, it can be so many different things. It can be purely sexy and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, sometimes it can be very confusingly like sexy and also terrifying or, you mm -hmm. know, sexy and hysterical. Um, so I'm curious how would you describe um, your style of burlesque and the Boulder burlesque uh, troupe style? Yeah, I love you speaking to the different genres of burlesque. There's so much. And um, I think anytime you're stepping into an artistic exploration, it's so valuable to understand uh, not just the, the current scope of your medium, but also the history of the medium. Mm -hmm. So seeing like what is classic burlesque? What does classic burlesque mean? And how has classic burlesque evolved into contemporary burlesque with all of its different categories and nuances? 
So in Boulder Burlesque, we really consider ourselves uh, like a contemporary performance art group. And within that, we welcome a couple different flavors. Our emphasis is really on self-expression, that quality that you mentioned, Kelly, of burlesque being for everyone. Um, we really see Boulder Burlesque as a starting ground for people to claim that initial sense of confidence, of ability to self-express, and to do the initial character formation that they then get to take on into the world. So if I had to say certain genres that Boulder Burlesque hangs out in the most, I mean, we do a, a lot of emphasis on queer, queer inclusion, so queer lesque. We have some performers who lean really heavily towards more classic portrayals of burlesque. And we've had, and especially more recently in trying to network with the drag community, um, hoping to bring more aspects of drag-lesque into a, our shows. And, you know, we've, we've got some nerd-lesque here and there. Um, got so many delicious flavors. I would say witch, witch-lesque. Can that oh, be yes. another one? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably yeah. a pretty big one. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, you were speaking to how burlesque is for a variety of body shapes. And I always think of, you know, here in Madison, uh, we have Miss Mercury Stardust. And so um, one of my favorite things and how one of the ways I was introduced to burlesque was going to her uh, show, the Five Star Tease. And she always says, you know, everybody is a burlesque body. And it, it really shows. It does. Um, when you look at the performers and you see people of different colors and different gender identities, and um, similarly to what it sounds like Boulder Burlesque is working on, um, you know, they intertwine with the, with the drag community. And so we do get performers who are doing draglesque, and then we get some performers who are doing strictly drag. And I think it's so powerful to see all the different ways in which performance art can manifest itself. Um, I mean, I've been moved to tears by a performer who was, I, I don't even think they were stripping, they were just dancing, and it was beautiful. And you could just tell that their entire heart and soul was put into it. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. What burlesque can do for people is amazing. Um, and I feel like, you know, it starts in this kind of niche environment, but then we take these lessons with us into how we how we show up in the world every day um you know whether that be having a little bit of extra sparkle a little extra zhuzh or if it's saying like my body is worthy of respect and i'm going to show you that it's worthy of it um i i just think it's so powerful i could i could geek out on burlesque stuff all day <laughs> oh those words my body is worthy of respect those really echo with me. And I do think it's a common fear for people or this idea that, oh, my body isn't the right body for this. Like, I don't fit in that role. I don't see myself expressing in this way. And it's definitely common within uh, members of our beginner troupe to come in with a lot of tightness or like feeling closed off or unwilling to do certain reveals or move in certain ways based on the stories we tell ourselves about our body that society and culture writes on us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I just 
that just warms my heart to see happen is by the end of going through four months of classes together, that sometimes those individuals will just be the boldest, the biggest, the most willing to share themselves because they've had this moment of revelation of like, oh, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It just matters how I perceive myself and how I want to show up in myself. Yeah. And I think burlesque is the place where it's one of the ways where people get to discover that truth. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm sure that's such an amazing transformation to watch on your part. Um, yeah, I I firmly believe that everybody needs to check out a burlesque show at least once. Um, because, I mean, every time I leave a burlesque show, I am filled with excitement. I want to create. I want to share. I want to, you know, cheer everybody on. And that's something that I am definitely missing um, through the pandemic is just that collection of we're all weird humans and we're all trying to figure it out. And it can be really fucking beautiful. Um, and that's such a great reminder, too, is if you are listening right now and you haven't been to a burlesque show before and this conversation is having you think, well, maybe maybe I should go find a local show to check out, that you are fully allowed to bring your weirdness as an audience member, too. And yes. you can discover parts about yourself and your own confidence just by being in the audience. You don't have to be on stage for that magic to work. That's yeah. why we're there to tell our burlesque stories. We want you in the audience to like, take away those same messages. Being on yeah. stage is not for everybody. Yeah, it, and I can attest to that. You know, I brought my best friend and that became every Friday we went to Five Star Tees. And, it, you know, at the, she moved away last year, but she said, I feel so much more confident from attending burlesque shows. And I mean, I love sequins. I love sparkle. I will don them going to brunch. Um, she was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can wear this. And now she's like, fuck yes give me the sequins like i will wear sequins on a date i don't give a shit like it's just a beautiful transformation even for audience members changing the world one sequin at a time yes oh my gosh i love that i want that to be a tagline <laughs> I, think I think i'll make it into a sticker now <laughs> Ooh, please do so lovely that that emerged <laughs> so i want to switch gears just a little bit um and veer more into your role um, with the kinky tasting parties and as a sex educator. And one of the things that um, has already come up in this conversation is creating a culture of consent. And so what does that mean? What does it look like? And how do you strive to create safe spaces um, that are in, uh, in alignment with a culture of consent? Absolutely. Bringing consent into spaces where aspects of sexuality are involved is especially important so that we can take on the taboo of how do we relate to each other as sexual beings when we've been brought up in a conservative society that teaches a lot of us to not talk about sex or sexuality. Consent is the tool that helps us bring out clarity and relatability with each other. And what consent is? Consent is affirmative. It means that we're looking for clear, enthusiastic yeses. It means yes only means yes. And without a clear yes, 
that's going to be a no. Consent is competent. So it means that the parties involved all have the ability to uh, and the knowledge to make the decision about what's going on. And as well, that it's informed. So all parties involved ha- understand the risks, understand what is happening, and have the relevant facts surrounding the issue that is being consented to. Consent is also unpressured. So there's no coerce- coercion. There is no... Um, renegotiation after somebody's already said no, so not going back to pressure them. It's really about respecting boundaries and hearing those boundaries the first time and being able to thank someone when they give a no, even. Consent is also, it's really helpful to be specific when we're giving and receiving consent so that it's clear what the boundaries are of a proposed activity and how we want to engage with each other. And through all of these aspects, consent is ongoing and active. So as much as no means no, um, consent is also just about checking in. Because for me, if I've given a no, I am the only person who has the right to change that no. Nobody else has the right to pressure me or coerce me. Um, But I'm allowed to change my mind. And consent is reversible and can be withdrawn at any time. So. On the other hand, my yes can become a no. And with all of these beautiful facets at play, we get to create spaces where people who might have been socialized to think that they're supposed to say yes all the time to certain things or haven't been given the tools to say no, we step into opening circle environments where we practice with each other what it feels like to say yes what it feels like to receive a no and get to carry those as tools into more nuanced sexual intimacy and play and carry them into our lives. That was a really beautiful description. Thank you for that, Krista. Absolutely. And I will give a shout out to the amazing Bonobo Network based in California who did give a lot of that definition on what consent culture is, and they themselves are amazing sex culture pioneers. That's great. I am not familiar with this resource, so I will definitely be looking um, them up. You said it's the Bonobo culture? Bonobo Network. Bonobo Network. Okay. Um, so I will look that up, and I'll also link to it in the in the episode description, um, because we need more consent in this world. And um, that kind of leads me into my next thought, which is, Krista, how can we how can we have these conversations out in the world? Um, because I feel like that's people who are involved in the kink community are more likely to have an idea of what consent is, what it looks like, when it has been given and when it has not. How can we start to have that conversation in a more uh, quote unquote vanilla aspect? Bringing consent into the vanilla world. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one idea that comes to mind that kind of touched on at the very beginning of this chat is just thinking of COVID as a really basic example of how more and more of us are being asked to like, bring consent conversations into our day-to-day life just so we can function together in shared environments. Um 
and that one can be a little bit heavier because there's a lot a lot of politics and health involved in having covid consent conversations but i think being in this global pandemic has highlighted the importance of us being willing to say like hey here's here are my safety boundaries here's where i am with my health right now what are your safety boundaries where are you and it's like it's the same thing with sexual consent and my hope is that in going through this pandemic more of us can realize the importance of engaging in those conversations and then i think kelly on the other side it's important to remember that consent isn't always this like heavy serious thing um and it's not always just about like boundaries and like we this is what we can't do and here's the nose but consent is what opens the door for play and for fun and if we think about it from that frame of reference i think that invites in a lot more ease and spaciousness so if you're new to consent, if you haven't really participated in kink and BDSM before, um, a great way to start could be, you know, just sit down with your partner or even with yourself if you're single and just write down, like, what are some of the things that you love having done to you and what are some of the things that you just don't want to have done to you? And those are kind of like your intro to consent. Like, here's my yeses. Here's some of my noes. And start to get to know yourself and your partner from that frame of reference. Yeah, I I love the way to look at that as being an a, a door to to be open to play. I yeah, I think that consent does usually sound very heavy, and um, I think that's because you know there's a lot of times there are consent violations, so definitely um, rightfully so. Um, but it's nice to look at it from that perspective of you know what what can we do together that's going to create the most pleasurable experience and the most fun experience for both of us? I love that. Um, so I am very curious. I myself have never been to a kinky tasting party. Um, so can you please tell us a little bit about what those experiences consist of and what they look like? Absolutely. Oh, well, in all of human history, most people have not been to a kinky <laughs> tasting party. So <laughs> if you're in that place, don't feel alone. Um, I think the magic of a kinky tasting party is the aspect of welcoming in folks who are new to trying out kink, who might be curious about it, people who might just want to watch, is a really big facet too. Like you can come and you can watch what's going on. You don't have to even participate necessarily. In fact, you watching is a form of participation. Uh, I think a lot of people might have some like loaded nerves around kink and BDSM. Like again, that kind of heavy intensity of um, like whips and chains and dark dungeons. And really the goal of a permission productions event is to bring kink into the light, to uh, have the fun DJ dancing going on, to have uh, eclectic mix of community, to have people there in their costumes and their self-expression. So it's not just about uh, these big intense BDSM scenes going on. Um, it's about 
again, inviting play and bringing curiosity to those spaces. So if you're somebody who has curiosities about kink or BDSM, what would you be able to gain just by showing up to watch what goes on in one of these spaces? Yeah, I think that's so powerful too. Like having that reminder of you don't always have to jump right in and, you know, automatically be like, yes, I will flog someone or I will be flogged. Like, you know, you can sit and kind of observe it and take it all in and then figure out what what am I comfortable exploring? And like, are there certain parameters in which I would be comfortable exploring? Um, so I think that's really a lovely reminder. In the discussion that I had with Kelly Noel, who I know you also know and is an absolutely amazing human being, um, one of the things that they brought up um, as a reminder is that kink is not always inherently sexual. Um, so I'm curious, what would you say constitutes a kink then? Um, how can we stop conflating kink and sex and, you know, kind of separate them into sometimes you have a kink that's not inherently sexual? That's such an excellent question to bring up. Good job, Kelly Noel, for pointing that out. Oh, and they are appreciate fabulous. Your, appreciate them connecting us. Um, yeah, kinks are not inherently sexual. And kinks can be about sensation. Kinks can be about rewriting mental pathways. Kinks are just like the things that work for us. And just because something's working for us doesn't mean it's necessarily sexual related. Um, I think a good example might be just thinking about soft sensation play. So in the way I like to identify in my kinky personality, I'm a sensual dominant. So I really like to offer dominant energy to people uh, with a sensual caring aspect to it. And when I'm offering sensuality, whether that's some furry mitts or a feather tickling their skin or sharp claws running softly up and down their back, I think a lot of the intention there is just to bring people into their bodies. And I think that's one of the magic pieces of kink is it is a way of getting us out of our heads and into our bodies. And there are many ways that that can be held and expressed. That again was a beautiful description. I, I'm getting softer as I get older. And so I'm like tearing up just because I think that so many of us are disconnected from our bodies. And some of us to a higher degree than others. And sometimes even I recognize like, oh, I'm not connecting with my body right now. And so the way that you just described how something that is generally seen as dirty and salacious can actually be so healing. And I know Kelly Noel and I uh, touched on that as well. And so you reaffirmed that. And I appreciate you um, giving that explanation. That was, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> Mm. Oh, that made me yeah. really happy. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, and I think even that emotion that bubbles up for you, Kelly, kind of speaks to the importance of us shifting our perspective about kink. Yeah. Because kink, again, is an emotional release. And it can be very cathartic 
And a lot of people use it as a way of healing trauma in their life or to step into mental spaces where they feel they're not able to exist in their day-to-day life. Yeah, it it can be so powerful. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and what advice would you give for somebody who may be interested in uh, learning more about the kink community? Where can they find more information or how do they even get started? Such a great question and a question that I think so many people have. And when I was thinking about this question, Kelly, I was going over a couple online resources and like websites that I could point people to. Um, And I have some of those, but what I wanted to say first is when it comes to beginning your kinky explorations or just getting to know your sensual self more deeply, what I think is most important is to be brave and follow what feels true to you. And these truths might not be evident right away. Um, You might want to start off wanting to explore certain elements about your sexuality that are tied to your gender and your gender identity and the way you were socialized from birth. And you may find along the way that like, oh, these things don't really fit with me or what I want, or I want to put a different flair on these ways that I was taught to exist in my sexual body. And I also want to put out a reminder that when you put yourself forward and bravely try new activities, go into new spaces, talk to new people about your kinks, about what you're wanting to explore, everything might not land like big and exciting and sexy. Uh, You might hit road bumps along the way. And that's totally okay. And that's just part of the process of learning. So welcome yourself to uh, find things that you don't like. Everything you find that you don't like is just as important as finding the fuck yeses that you love. So yeah, along that path, um, I mean, I would definitely recommend checking out fetlife.com. It's not the most beautiful website, but there's lots and lots of people on there if you can figure out how to find them. (laughs) And it will direct you to events in your local community, which is the greatest asset of that site. And from there, uh, you can meet real people and um, just even understand what are the possibilities for me to check out. And you can also do a fun test for yourself. It's called the BDSM test. And you can just Google it and find it. And it'll take you through all these questions and help give you an idea of like, what are you more dominant? Are you more submissive? Are you, do you want to get tied up? Do you want to tie somebody else up? Um, And help you just get a little initial grasp on what are some of your areas that you might want to explore more deeply? Yeah. Yeah, I can also attest to FetLife. Um, it's, a, again, yeah, not the most like high-tech um, website, I would say, but a fantastic resource. I mean, being able to connect with people who have similar kinks as you. And also, I mean, they have a whole inventory of kinks that you can explore. Um, and you can see, you know, photos of, of people engaging in whatever kink it may be. Um, And yes, the events, I'm sure, is also very helpful, um, you know, for finding munches and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, 
And See? another space that I definitely recommend checking out is any uh, feminist sex shops in your local area. They, if you talk to the employees, will often know about kinky events or sex positive community spaces. They might even be hosting workshops at the sex shop themselves if you are lucky enough to live in a city that has um, one of the more prevalent uh, sex shops. And I know for me, I hang up posters for my kinky events and burlesque shows at the local sex stores. So go check out your local sex shop and support them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and there's, it's funny you bring that up too, because there's actually a, a woman-owned sex shop in Madison that I've been dying to check out. Um, so now it's definitely going on my to-do list. <laughs> Amazing. Do you know what it's called? Um, oh my gosh. I forget... A woman's touch, maybe. Okay. I'll have to. I'll have to um, check on it, and then I'll link to it in the podcast Great. description as well. Um, but yeah, my oh. friend just told me about it, and I was like, I must go to there. <laughs> if anyone happens to be in the Denver area where I'm located, I recommend checking out Awakening Boutique. Awesome, another female-owned sex shop. Lovely. I love that. All right, Krista, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I feel like. I myself have gained a lovely experience and um, have really enjoyed tapping into your wisdom. Um, I'm sure that our listeners will enjoy it as well. And so now I want to give you the opportunity to tell us how can we follow and support you and the work that you're doing? Absolutely, Kelly. It's been such a delight talking with you about consent and sex and play and if you would like to keep track of me and my work, you may take the route of following Boulder Burlesque and all of their exciting community endeavors at boulderburlesque.com and Boulder Burlesque on Facebook and Instagram. And then my work with Permission Productions, including kinky play parties, consent education, and coaching is all at permissionproductions.com and Permission Productions on Instagram and Facebook. So look forward to seeing y'all there. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Krista. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to talk so openly about this subject. And we're all going to bring it into the light together. And Kelly, I can't wait to maybe see you on the burlesque stage one day. Oh, my gosh. I hope so. I hope that soon we'll be able to, to get back to it and I can show up in all my glory because I have lots of things in the works. You have so much glory. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week. The Womanizer is not just any intimate toy for vulva owners, it is THE toy for vulva owners. What makes the Womanizer so special? Their vibrators equipped with a patented pleasure air technology. I love my Womanizer duo. So it has the clitoral pleasure air technology, but it also has uh, an arm for internal G-spot vibration. 
and it's nice because you can control both and there are several different um, intensity levels and different patterns and oh it's just fantastic Um, it typically has me orgasming in just a couple of minutes and usually multiple times over I tell everybody about this product. Every vulva owner I know, I have said, you need a womanizer duo. And now I am telling all of you as well. Whether you're looking for something for yourself or that special person in your life, you can't go wrong with the duo. If you're interested in only clitoral stimulation, then I also highly recommend any number of their womanizer products. They're handheld, easy to use, and they provide lovely pleasure. Uh, I have the Womanizer Starlet 3, and it is also uh, one of my go-tos. It's, you're going to have a good time. I can promise you that much. Uh, Check out the link in this week's episode description to find the Womanizer product that's right for you.